Well, thank you very much, and what a great song that is, and we're needing more and more people to come and tell this world that Jesus Christ is alive, and uh, that's what West Coast Baptist College is all about. Those students that just sang are from as far away as Hawaii and Florida and in between places like Michigan and Tennessee, and uh, they're here to learn how to go out and tell our world that Jesus Christ is alive. Well, remain seated for just a moment and turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, and in a moment I'll be preaching from Numbers chapter 13, and uh, before that I want to just give a little uh, brief lesson. I don't uh, have the privilege of teaching the entire college student body uh, together, and so sometimes when I get to preach in chapel, I like to just share a a thought or two that might be helpful. And so I want our students especially to take out your uh, notebooks and uh, jot some of these things down. And uh, perhaps some of our guests will receive something from this as well. Uh, But I'd like to just uh, share a few thoughts that I hope will help you along your journey uh, as you're training for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I've entitled this brief lesson, The Transition Position. The Transition Position. And I want to speak to you about the word transition because it is a common word in our culture today. Uh, How many of you have ever heard the term somebody saying, he's transitioning? That's kind of a loaded statement. Uh, It could be something uh, physical or philosophical when when you hear that term. But it's a common term today. And uh, when we hear the word position, we often think of something that is fixed. Uh, Some of our teams that are here might say, well, Uh, He's the starting point guard. That's his position. He hopes it's fixed. Uh, He's the starting center. That's uh, his position. The word position uh, speaks of something that is fixed. But our culture is turning position into transition. Things that were once positionalized or settled are now in flux. And that's true in Uh, various different forms of the culture, even the church culture. From the definition of male and female, uh, to the meaning of family, to the philosophy of local New Testament churches, pastors today are taking this transition position. Uh, Their position is transition. And make no mistake about it, change is a position. When you're evolving, Uh, continually evolving, that becomes your position. It's a transition position. So I want to give you nine thoughts today. I want our students to take this. I want our faculty to hear this. Nine thoughts about transition that I want you to understand, as you'll see in a moment, are very biblical thoughts, but also from uh, my heart today as your pastor and as a president of this college. Number one, The predominant theme, and you're not going to be able to write all of this down. In fact, it'll be on some of my social media later today, but uh, hear it or jot down the scripture I give you. Number one, the predominant theme of biblical ministry exhortation is not centered on transition. It is centered on remaining. Now, that's a fundamental truth I want you to remember because students, you're going to find, and it'll blow your mind, you'll get out in the ministry and you'll find everything seems to be changing. And you'll find that city ordinances will change. You'll find that government changes. You're going to find that even some of your friends change in areas in the ministry. So I want you to understand that transition is not 
the, the primary focus of biblical ministry exhortation. Rather, it is focused on remaining. I think of, for example, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which teaches us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as an example. Uh, number two, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods may change. Principles never do. Now, not everything new is sinful. That's sometimes hard to teach uh, those of us who are fundamental. Uh, you're not a good pastor if you're not against everything new. I remember when texting came out. I was against texting. <laughs> and primarily because people did it while I preached. But uh, texting is not fundamentally sinful just because it was new. It felt, it felt wrong. So not everything new is sinful. And some functional transition is needful when it comes to programmatic things and uh, schedules and so forth. But much of the transition of the philosophy in church life today is not helpful. Most of the transition that we hear about in church life today, last week I gave you a prime example of Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia, transitioning his church to be accepting of gay memberships, which is absolutely unbiblical. Okay. That is an illustration of someone who's transitioning his church in a way that is definitely unbiblical. So uh, we, we want to understand that much of the change of philosophy in churches today is not helpful. Much of it is unbiblical. Proverbs 4.2, uh, Solomon said, I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Number three, men that are, and this is important, I want you to get this, men that are given to transition seldom transition in only one area. It normally becomes a package of things. Most people do not transition away from a previously held conviction into another area, and just that's just the one thing. It normally becomes a life, a family, and a church that's hard to recognize from the person you once knew. And I don't have time to elaborate on that, but just take note of that, because pragmatism is a philosophical tradition which often proliferates. The pragmatic mindset is going to find its way, it's going to proliferate into the areas of not only preference areas, sometimes doctrinal areas, sometimes uh, areas reflecting holiness, sometimes areas reflecting music. You can go on and on with it. But I, what I find is that when people begin to remove the ancient landmarks, they don't just remove one, all right? And you'll find that as you grow older, as you see this. And the Bible speaks of it in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in how many of his ways? All of his ways. So you mark it down, you take it from someone who's been down the road a little farther than you. When someone begins to remove ancient landmarks, they normally don't remove just one, okay? Number four, there are many published books and articles on how to transition to a seeker philosophy. This is nothing new. It's been going on for 40 years. There's a lot of books. I mean, there literally are books on how to transition your church uh, and, uh, into the seeker philosophy. But a savior-sensitive church and that's what this church endeavors to be, a savior-sensitive church. Jesus is the target. He's the goal. A savior-sensitive church 
will focus on the immutable attributes of God. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord and I what? I change not. Okay? And I find that the members of our church appreciate and benefit from a pastor who's not always changing everything all the time as a side leadership note. Number five. Very important for those of you that are called to preach. Number five. The transitions you make in moderation will be made in excess by the next generation. You might, you might move to something that's just a little closer to what you think, and, 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 but your children are going to take that to another extreme. That's why at West Coast, we keep our standards high and relatively unchanging. Why? Because we know the ramification. We know the ripple effect on that down the road. I sometimes wonder what churches and families will look like should the Lord tarry. Strong leaders tend to remain with proven truth and proven methods for the sake of the next generation. As Joshua said in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 6, when they raised the stones up at Gilgal, he said, when the children ask about these stones, we're going to be able to tell them about what our great God did. All right? Number six, transition is often employed in the, in the process of syncretism. Syncretism is the act or philosophy whereby the world amalgamates into the church. Uh, it is, syncretism is the adaptation of the world's cult culture and philosophy into religion. So transition is often employed in the process of syncretism. The perilous times of 2 Timothy chapter 3, as I mentioned last night, are times of raveling from the top down, unraveling from the top down. So spiritual leaders must provide consistent, eternal-minded direction, seeking those things which are above, Colossians chapter 3. Number seven, in the Bible and in history, the men and women who changed the world were the men and women who the world could not change. There's a world of humanistic culture. There's a world of religious culture that wants graduates of soul-winning, Bible-believing institutions like this to adapt because they're uncomfortable with your zeal like they were uncomfortable with Noah's message in days of old. They would rather you adapt to their lukewarmness than remain a red-hot reminder of what Christianity is supposed to be. Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Number eight, if a transitioning leader is offended or argumentative on his journey, and again, I'm not, there can be good transition methodologically, there can be good transition organizationally, but I'm talking here about philosophical, biblical, moving away from a biblical position. If a transitioning leader is offended, and they often are, or argumentative, and they almost always are, on their journey, it often reveals that his seeking of a differential from previous mentors, his endeavoring to be different from his heritage, is more based on pride than necessity. The fact that someone is easily provoked and very easily upset is an indication that their heart's not right in this matter of change. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Number nine, 
while we should be careful to not elevate preferences to the height of Scripture, we must not transition from convictions based in the Scriptures. You don't want to transition away from a decision you made that was based in the Scriptures. And I've seen this happen in a thousand different types of venues. I've seen people who said at one point in their life, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And now they regularly uh, participate in activities that would violate that biblical principle. And the Bible speaks of this clearly, and we must make sure that we are not given to change that leads us away from biblical principles. And so the question is, is transition your position? And the answer should be that you will not remove the ancient landmarks, that you'll be a biblically principled person, and that whenever you hear someone talking about transitioning, you're going to step back and ask, is this going to the place of the ancient landmarks and to the place of Scripture, or is this going to ultimately move me into a weaker position? And there are today uh, uh, systems of theology, and there are today philosophies surrounding and uh, involving the church that are weaker and are weakening God's people. And we want the graduates of this college to strengthen the things that remain. That's what we're here to do, to strengthen the things that remain. And so I hope something I said helped you. Beware of transition in the philosophical and doctrinal sense of the local New Testament church and do your very best uh, to uphold the truth that's given to you by your pastor, by your professors, and so forth. Let's stand now, shall we, and turn uh, to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Thank you to our guests for letting me share that uh, little lesson with our students and our faculty. And uh, I'm excited about uh, each of you that are with us today. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of becoming a world-changing Christian. A world-changing Christian. And I want to read to you from the Scriptures about a man who made a great difference in his national life and history, a man by the name of Caleb. In Numbers 13 and verse 26, the Bible says, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I like Caleb, don't you? Let's learn from him this morning. Father, bless our time in your word, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Either you are changing the world around you, or the world around you is changing you. There's no middle ground. Either you are changing the world around you or the world around you is changing you. Now, we know what the Bible says on this matter, Romans 12 and verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You say, I want to know the will of God for my life. Well, I can tell you, it is the will of God that you live a sanctified life, that you keep your body uh, in a sanctified mode. I can tell you it is the will of God that you uh, are not conformed to the world, but that your mind is renewed and that you're proving uh, what is that good and perfect will of God. And so God says, I want you to make a difference in your world. And he's given us uh, the capacity to do that when he gave us his word and when he gave us his spirit. That's why Acts 1.8 says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. When is that going to happen? It says, but ye shall receive the Holy Ghost that has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So God says, I want you to go out and make a difference in the world, and I've given you my word, I've given you my spirit, so that that might be made possible. You know, in Acts chapter 17, it says of the disciples that they were the ones that turned the world upside down. Those ones that turned the world upside down have come hither also. I don't know if you've noticed it, but there are people in our land, in our country, who deny and hate God, who deny and hate God's plan for marriage, who deny and hate God's plan in many cases just for creation. They, they reject their very uh, creation as a male or as a female. And we see God deniers and God haters everywhere that, that are subverting our nation. How many of you believe we need some Christians that will raise up and turn this nation back to God? And, and truly, we need some world-changing Christians to come from your generation. Now, as I think of that, every one of us, in order to be used of God to have influence in our generation, will have to learn to overcome fear where others are paralyzed. We'll have to learn how to speak where others are silent. We'll have to learn how to witness and preach and teach where others have gone a different route. And were it not for the faith of Joshua, the people of God would never have come as far as they did. They were a people that had overcome. They were a people that had seen a God work in their hearts. And then, of course, there was this man, Caleb. And Caleb also was an overcomer. In fact, a moment ago in verse 30, we read that. It says in this verse, the latter portion of the verse, for we are well able to overcome it. All right, let's say that together. For we are well able to overcome it. One more time. For we are well able. He was an overcomer. They said, but what about the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the tight brothers? What about them? And he said, we are well able to overcome it. In verse 31, the Bible says, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Isn't that how life is? You have the few like Caleb. We are well able to overcome it, but you always have the majority in the church. Well, I just don't know if we can do it. I, I'll tell you what, this country is just going to hell in a handbasket. It's never going to have revival. There's no, there's no hope. There's no way. But there, thank God, was someone named Caleb who said, we are able, we are able to overcome it. I want you to notice in this man's life three characteristics that I think can help all of us this morning. First of all, I want you to see that this was a man with a world-changing faith. 
a world-changing faith. And, and Caleb's faith was based on the word of God. The reason he said we can overcome it is because he was trusting in God's word. Notice in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 2, the Bible says, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Notice the phrase here in verse number 2, which I give unto the children of Israel. God had said, I'm going to give this land to the children of Israel, and Canaan believed it. And God has said to us that if we'll go out and if we'll bear the seed of the word of God, that we will come again rejoicing and bringing our sheaves with us. He said, I'm going to grant you a harvest if you will go out and if you will be faithful. Also, Caleb understood that God had made a promise even back to Abraham. In Genesis 12, we find the Abrahamic covenant, and God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And, and Caleb listened in Sunday school, and Caleb believed God. And when he, when he heard that they were going to go in and possess this land, he said, we're able to overcome it. Why did he say that? Because he believed God's word is true. How many of you believe the Bible is the infallible, inerrant, preserved word of God? You can trust the word of God. And we understand and we make no apology that West Coast Baptist College is a Bible college because, listen to me, medicine will not change America and mechanics will not change America and all of the other professions you could name will not change America, but the preaching of the Word of God will change America. And Caleb believed the Word of God and Caleb understood that his uh, faith uh, was sourced from the Word of God. It was based on the Word of God. But secondly, Caleb's faith was blessed by the power of God. His faith was blessed by the power of God. God is looking to bless people who believe him and his word. And the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 14, if you have your Bible open, in verse number nine, the Bible says, and Moses swear on that day saying, surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord. You see, the promise that was given to Joshua and Caleb was that, that this land was going to be theirs and, and that God would empower them to receive this great promise. You know, the Bible says to us in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, and God says, uh, uh, where, where I guide you, I'll provide for you. I'm going to take care of your needs. And we've seen that over the years with thousands of college students coming to West Coast and getting a job and getting a blessing and, and uh, getting away and getting through and graduating. And 99% and, uh, uh, of our graduates the last seven or eight years being placed in ministry before they graduate. What is that? That is God honoring their faith to step out and follow him and his will for their life. This is what Hebrews eleven six 6 says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God says, you step out by faith and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless your life. Oh, I can think of so many stories of faith, and time does not permit. I was mentioning the other day about Brother William Miracle, who was a student here, and how he came up to me after, after I was done preaching one morning, and, and he said, Pastor Chaplin said, I believe God wants me to be a missionary to China. And uh, I, I thought, well, that's nice. I'm glad he is thinking that way, but no one can go to China. It's a closed country. 
And he said, I just believe that's what God wants me to do. And he began to pray and he began to study and he, he found a way. He married a, a, a wonderful young lady. They, they made their way to China to work in a university at first doing some teaching. And, and uh, later on, they were able to establish two different churches. They actually sent students to West Coast Baptist College. A couple of them are working with the churches today in China. I'm telling you, a student at West Coast Baptist College had more faith than the president of West Coast Baptist College. He believed that God was able. I'm telling you, it's a world-changing faith. And there are churches in China this morning started by a graduate of West Coast who simply sitting in these chairs believe that God could do something impossible with his life. And we need to see another generation of such believers, people who have a world-changing faith. But I want you to see, secondly, in Caleb's life, this man had a world-changing spirit. You know, spirit matters. Spirit is important. And I get around different, different uh, churches, and I've, I've preached in, I think, uh, 49 or 50 states. And, you know, you get around a lot of young people, and sometimes even in Bible college settings, and, and, and you'll find some that are just kind of cynical, and they're just kind of sarcastic, yeah, whatever, you know, and uh, kind, of, kind of in their spirit, kind of putting down the thought of, like, surrendering your life to be a preacher when... You know, you need to have a plan B financially, you know, and kind of laughing at the guys that are amening. And many times the spirit degenerates from there and it just kind of stinks. Well, I'm going to tell you that your attitude will determine your altitude. I'm going to tell you this morning that spirit really does matter. I'm going to tell you that in my 37 years of ministry here and in my hiring of probably five to 700 different staff members, one of the primary things I always look for is the spirit of the interviewee because I, I want to know that someone who's coming in isn't going to be like holding us down with just a, this Eeyore kind of an attitude. I want to find people around here that believe God is able to do great and mighty things. Amen. And that's what I see in Caleb's life. Verse number six of chapter 14, the Bible tells us this. And I want you to notice it with me. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. This is after their, their partners uh, said, this is just impossible. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through and to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. I don't know this, and I, I hope it's not true. There may be a Bible college student here still rebelling against what you know God wants you to do. There may be a ball player here today that's just still rebelling against God, God's call on your life. And your pastor hopes you do well in the tournament, but he's, he's really hoping you surrender to God while you're here. And Joshua and Caleb had to say, look, stop, stop rebelling. Your spirit is wrong. And notice... In verse 9, only rebel not ye the, against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Can you imagine that? Now, in every basketball tournament, you have the biggest team and the smallest team, right? Have you guys figured out which is which yet? I saw the, I saw the group from Franklin Road. I think Brother Norris has been feeding them some kind of special steroids or something, some tall boys on that team. And could you imagine maybe the JV varsity team or the junior high team at Lancaster 
coming in and, and looking at some guys that are 6'5", and looking at some guys that maybe win their championship back in another state. Can you, I can imagine myself and the great-grandson going, hey, you guys are bread for us. We're going to eat you up today. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. They said, you know what we think about the Hittites and the, and the Hivites and the Canaanites? You know what we think about all of those inhabitants of the land? We think that with our God's power, they are nothing. And it is time that we stop backing down to the God-haters. It's time that we stop backing down to the Grammy crowd and the abortion crowd and the ungodly crowd of this land and that we as God's people stand for Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would see that this spirit makes the difference. Some have a spirit of fear. Some have a spirit of faith. Now, why did Caleb have the right spirit? Well, first, because he had the right convictions, the right beliefs. We see this in verse number eight. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. It's that simple. He said, look, if God wants to use us, he's going to do it through us. If God brings us to it, God will bring us through it. That's how great our God is. The Lord will bring us. That's why there's a Los Angeles Baptist church today. Because of some college students that begin going with us on Saturdays, knocking on doors, leading people to Christ, till a man was raised up who went, who now for these many years has been pastoring downtown Los Angeles, across the street from a mosque, across the street from a cannabis facility, across the street from a, from a bar, right in the middle of it all, there's a Bible-believing, soul-winning Baptist church bringing people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because of some young men that believe that God could do that, and, and uh, that's why we're going to uh, head down there again in a few months and be a part of another church plant in the city of Los Angeles because there's some world-changing Christians at West Coast Baptist College who believe that the Lord is with us. Now, what are you trusting in today? You trusting in a, a, a guidance counselor? I mean, who's, who's pointing you to the future? Who's your guidance counselor? Might I suggest the Holy Spirit's a really good guidance counselor? Come on. Who, who's, who's helping you to look to the future? An accountant? A girlfriend? A boyfriend? Have we stopped to hear what God wants us to do with our lives? People trust in crazy things. I, I knew of one guy, literally, he trusted in fortune cookies. He always went to a Chinese restaurant, and, and he was a Christian. He'd always open up and say, I, I know it's a little, it's a little weird, but I like to you know, kind of see what it says. Kind of, you know, kind of gives me some thoughts about my future. One day he opened it up and it said, you are a poor, pathetic, gullible fool who seeks advice from bakery products. <laughs> Listen, get your advice from the word of God. Amen. Don't even trust your own heart. Your own heart many times will deceive you. Here, here's a man who had a right belief. He had right conviction. But notice also he had the right attitude. In verse 24 of this same chapter, the Bible says, notice this now, Numbers 14, 24. Look at it in your Bible. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully. Oh, Brother Chapel, don't worry. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna get a degree in. Uh, uh, I, I'm gonna get a degree in in, in this uh, this particular field that I'm interested in. But don't worry. Uh, once in a while, I'm gonna pass out a track. 
Okay, that's, that's a start. But Caleb said, I don't want to once in a while pass out a track. I want to follow my God fully. I, I'm going to totally yield my life to him so that every opportunity that comes in front of me, I'm going to use it for the glory of God. And the Bible says in verse 24 about this, Caleb, there was another spirit in him. Somewhere along the line in this basketball tournament, there will likely be an award for that. I don't know what they'll call it. Most inspirational. I don't know what they'll call it. It'll be the guy that helps the other guy up. It'll be the guy that's not always looking at his other team going, come on, man, pass it to me. What are you doing? It'll be the guy that's not going to the ref and going, what are you, blind? Caleb had another spirit. Caleb stood head and shoulders above others when it came to his attitude. He wholly followed God. Oh, how we need Caleb's today with this spirit of Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man will do unto me. Being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Listen, a person in the flesh never has a right spirit. And we've all been there. And sometimes sports can bring that out. But Caleb was a man walking in the spirit, like Daniel, who was preferred above the presidents and princes because of an excellent spirit that was in him. I find that men that are greatly used of God typically have an excellent spirit. I think of Brother Rick Martin over in the Philippines, having started nearly 1,500 churches. Every time I'm around him, his wife has cancer now. Every time I'm around him, whether it's cancer, whether it's trials, whether it's difficulty, always a smile, always trusting the Lord, always believing God. Oh, what a wonderful testimony it is. And, and, and not only did he have the right spirit, but he had the right devotion unto the Lord. It says he fully followed the Lord. He has followed me fully. Can I ask you a question today, teenagers, guests, teenagers? Are you following the Lord fully? It's not enough to be in a Christian school. We all know that. I went to Christian school, second grade through, through college and, 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 after, and, and postgraduate work. I've been around Christian education my whole life. Listen, you can be in a good Christian school and not be following God fully. You know that. He was following God with full devotion. With my whole heart, the psalmist said, Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. We were preaching in Egypt a few months ago, and, and uh, I guess for me, one of, the, one of the blessings of ministry now is preaching somewhere and having graduates come from West Coast. And there was a graduate from Nigeria and Ethiopia, and another, another young man came in from Syria, the only student from Syria that ever graduated from West Coast Baptist College. And if you know anything about what's going on in the world today, you know Syria is a tough place. I mean, this, he showed me pictures of where his church is, and it looked like National Geographic, just buildings exploded and crumbled. It, it was a war zone. And, and he's, he's telling me in the foyer of this building where I was about ready to preach, hey, there's our church right there. I mean, right in the middle of all the crumpled down buildings. Here's this building. And he's saying, the good thing about the war is that all the men that have been killed, their Muslim wives are coming to the church and they're asking us for, for water and they're asking us for food. And some of them are getting saved. That's the great thing about the war, you know. Spirit. Oftentimes our spirit is, 
Well, I'll go to college where it's fun, or I'll, I'll, I'll behave if they're nice to me, or uh, if things go my way, but, but I'm telling you, you'll have knowledge of what a strong spiritual attitude is when things aren't going your way, and you're still smiling, still trusting, and still believing in God. This man had a world-changing faith. He had a world-changing spirit, and notice finally, he had a world changing fervency. He had a loving fervency. We see this in verse number eight of chapter 14. It says, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. It tells us in verse 24, he fully followed the Lord. There's this concept of God delighting in me and me delighting in God. There's this, there's this loving fervency that Caleb had with the Lord. I wonder, do you have a real relationship with the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you, do you speak to the Lord? Do you grow in your walk with the Lord? He had a loving fervency. He also had a lasting fervency. You can read through and you'll find in Joshua chapter 14 and verse number 12, where they came, you'll remember the famous words of, of this man, Caleb, when he said, Now therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou uh, heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall drive them out as the Lord said. And Caleb defeated the people known as the Anakims because uh, he had this lasting belief in God. And it doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been saved. God can use you until your last breath. I think about men that have preached in this place, like Dr. Lee Robertson in his 90s, still preaching for God. Dr. Tom Malone preaching and being used of God. And and this is what world-changing Christians do. They they keep going and they keep going. And and Caleb affected his world for the Lord. And Caleb secured uh, for future generations a place. And I'm saying that there are people coming behind you. And I I think about what this world will be like. And I I turn on the television just to watch the news and see two guys kissing or see the, the commercials or see the review of the Grammy Awards, the satanic worship that took place last week and I think where are the young men who will not be satisfied to make a dollar who will not be satisfied uh, to get a degree in physical therapy rubbing someone's sore muscles I'm going to tell you what the world's biggest problem is not a sore muscle it is a lost heart people are on their way to a Christless hell today we need world changing Christians have you ever thought about Changing your world, your neighborhood, your school. How does that happen anyways? How are cities touched and changed? We have a long way to go in this city. We have a lot of sin and a lot of sinners, a lot of unsaved in Lancaster. But I'm here to tell you that there are thousands of believers in this city there, are, there is a spirit within the city on the part of the leadership that could be referred to as, as at least a God-awareness, if not a God-fearing attitude. The Speaker of the House of, our, of the representatives of our country, Kevin McCarthy, is elected from citizens of this city and 
seeks the prayer and counsel of this pastor, as does our other congressman. You mean in California? You mean there's, there's God-fearing people out here? Yes, sometimes. The darker the night, the brighter the light. God is looking for young men and young women to find a place in this world and change that corner by the grace of God. But how does it happen? There is only one way that it happens, and that is by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You say, well, man, this guy's all tattooed, and this, guy, this gal's all sexually confused about her orientation, and this one has that problem. How many of you believe the gospel can still change all of that? Amen. Can turn a life around? Amen. I'm glad that when I was a seventh grade boy in, in a Christian camp in Palmer Lake, Colorado, on a Friday night, that I walked forward and surrendered my life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to testify to you that the greatest life ever lived is a life given to Jesus, given to the gospel, bringing people to Jesus Christ as their Savior because the only way to change the world is one soul at a time, helping people to come and know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to determine, are you going to live for self? Are you going to live for the world? Are you going to live for the Savior, bringing others to the Lord Jesus Christ? You're going to have to determine, am I going to live every day for the gospel? I mean, every day as a teacher implementing the gospel, every day as a preacher preaching the gospel, every day as a missionary spreading the gospel. And there's there's nothing wrong with being a godly layman or godly laywoman. We have many of them here today. Thank God for them. But I know that your bus driver and your youth pastor and your pastor would be thrilled, and most of your parents, if you would say, I don't want to give some days to the gospel. I want to give my whole life to the gospel. Because that's how the world will be changed, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder today if there's perhaps a world-changing Christian sitting in this room, someone that would like to be used of God to see the next revival come, to see the next city changed. I have a new pin pal from the Middle East, and his name is Mai, it's M-W-A-I. And when we were coming home from Egypt several months ago, we stopped off in, in Dubai and before we left there to come back to Los Angeles, my wife and I took a test for COVID and we both tested positive. And it was kind of a bummer. I, my wife actually was pretty sick and uh, I was somewhat sick for about four or five days. And I've told our church before, I kind of was complaining and impatient and finally just had to settle in and realize, okay, Lord, you got me here for a reason. And soon I began to see what the reason was. There was a young Muslim man at the front desk. At first I just knew him by the telephone just asking him for water and towels and how do we get out of this country and that type of thing. And then they said I could go out of my room because we were in quarantine. And how many of you are glad when you can go out of your room, right? I said, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to go out of the room. And I went to get my wife some food and I found, I found Mai down there at the front desk. I said, hey, thanks for all your help. And uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry you're having this, this trouble. We sat down, and I was, every day I was making uh, plane reservations for the next day, and every next day I was canceling them. And it was that thing every day like that. But in the middle of that, I began to talk to him about the Lord. 
And I began to tell them about Jesus Christ and how that Christ is the Son of God and how that he died on the cross for our sin. And I went through the first time and he said, you really believe that? God has no son. He said, I, I've been taught that God has no son. He said, I, I believe in Jesus, but he's not God's son. And I began to share various scriptures with him about Christ being the fullness of the Godhead bodily and who Jesus was. And I'd come back from getting some food for my wife and stop and, and share some more with him along the way. Sometimes his boss would come and look at us and, and we'd both part. I remember taking time to tell him that if he would like to accept Christ as his Savior, I'd be glad to pray with him. He wasn't ready to do that. And then I asked him this. I said, uh, my, would you, if I, if I get you a Bible, would you start reading the Bible? He said he would, and so I did. I said, if I find you a church, would you go to that church after I leave the country? He said, I would. And you know, a few days after I left that country, he went to a church pastored by a Filipino missionary in Dubai. He heard the gospel again, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. He emails me now and tells me about his church, tells me what he's learning. You, you, you believe that God could save a Muslim in your neighborhood? Do you believe that God could bring a revival in maybe a place like Iran or maybe a place like United Arab Emirates? Do you believe that God can change this world? He, he certainly can, but not if all of us choose a career that's around ourselves and according to our guidance counselor, somebody's going to have to still say, here am I, Lord, use me. Someone like Caleb who said, hey, if God brings me to it, he'll bring me through it. God can help us to conquer this land. God can still save souls. God can still raise up churches. And I'm here to tell you today that you can be a world-changing Christian if you would be totally surrendered to God totally surrendered to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with your generation, you could see your world changed by the grace of our God.